Welcome back to another edition of the Intutel podcast, um, uh, the VNext version. This is Kevin O'Connell. I'm a VP uh, on the on the technical staff uh, with our VNext group, uh, and we're talking uh, as we have for the last several weeks about technical and uh, public health aspects of the current COVID-19 outbreak. And we're very uh, we're very privileged to have with us today a, a special guest interviewee. Patrick Boyle of Ginkgo Bioworks. Uh, Ginkgo Bioworks is uh, one of the premier, or perhaps the premier, synthetic biology company in the United States at the moment, and therefore perhaps the world. And uh, Patrick Boyle has a leadership position there. And uh, Patrick, do you want to introduce yourself and uh, say a little bit about what you do at Ginkgo? Yeah, Kevin. Thanks for thanks for having me. So you know, Ginkgo is a synthetic biology platform company, and you know, looking forward to talking to you uh, today about how we're pivoting the use of our platform to essentially dedicate it to the COVID-19 response. Um, in terms of my, my background, I'm a systems and synthetic biologist by training, um, and my, my normal job at Ginkgo is uh, leading our, our code base. So code base is our term for reusable code, the exact same um, definition as is used in the software world. Um, but at Ginkgo, we think about engineering biology as a fundamentally a cell programming problem. Uh, you need to be able to read DNA and write it, um, and of course, interpret it um, to be able to develop new biological um, applications. So uh, when I say I'm managing our code base, that means I'm responsible for our uh, portfolio that we're developing over the course of our programs uh, with a particular focus on making sure that we're developing useful and reusable assets that allow us to serve more customers. Um, but of course, over the last, um, you know, I guess, wow, almost two months now, <laughs> I've been working to coordinate um, all of our efforts related to COVID-19, uh, specifically identifying um, commercial and, um, and academic partnerships that we can do uh, where we can leverage Ginkgo's platform to support uh, people who are responding to COVID-19 in a number of ways. So um, uh, but we will talk uh, most of this uh, most of this podcast about COVID-19 and, and Ginkgo's role there. Um, but let's um, I just want to level set for our uh, for our listeners a little bit about synthetic biology generally, and then what it means uh, for for Ginkgo Bioworks to be a platform company for synthetic biology. So um, you know when I was coming up, uh, I won't say how many years ago in molecular biology. Um, uh, the, the the manipulation of DNA um, and the and the cloning and and, and adding new um, uh, new functionality to organisms was kind of a bespoke uh, handmade uh, uh, one postdoc at a time at the lab bench uh, uh, process. Um, tell us a little bit about how synthetic biology has kind of has has, uh, has changed that process. Sure. Well, you know, synthetic biology is fundamentally a tools revolution, right? It was born out of folks. Uh, you know, uh, like us who, who did their PhDs uh, primarily uh, manually moving uh, liquids around uh, to get things done, right? So, so when I did my PhD uh, about 10 years ago, um, I designed and synthesized um, uh, six different genes, um, and I did all of my cloning myself, and that's how uh, many people still build cells today, right? So, you know, for, um, for Ginkgo's approach to synthetic biology, it's basically saying, what are the kind of craft operations that are required to engineer a biological system? Um, to what degree can those uh, craft operations be moved to automation and supported by software? Um, and how can you learn from the data that you're generating from um, experiments done in this way to get better at the process? So again, we're, we're taking the same approaches that, that everyone does in terms of um, you know, building new, um, uh, new biological designs, 
um, but we're trying to scale that via automation and software. And we 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 see that there are um, you know different insights that you get when you're able to do things at that scale. So just to give you you know a quick example, you know of that you know I mentioned that I designed and synthesized six genes over the course of my PhD. Uh, today at Ginkgo, um, uh, we uh, design and synthesize uh, tens of thousands of genes every month. Right, so so a lot of that is is due in large part to the tools getting better, DNA synthesis and DNA sequencing, uh, you know, chief among them in that uh, particular case. Uh, but also, as you can imagine, you know, tens of thousands of genes per month means that you need software to help you design those genes. You're not going to be using Microsoft Word or a Plasmid editor for each of those designs. Um, so so it actually um, uh, creates a whole. Um, you know, stack of software and automation support that you need to be able to operate on that scale. And because engineering biology is still hard, we feel that that rapid prototyping scale is essential for us to get better at engineering biology um, in a rapid way. No, I think that you made a, you, you, you ended with, I think, a really interesting point, and that is engineering biology is still and it remains difficult. Um, the solution space for any given, uh, any given biological function is, is, is vast. And um, and it's necessary to to uh, bring as much uh, computational power to design as well as to executing those designs, and and testing them. So, um, uh, so the, the the value of, of these of, of platform technologies like Ginkgo's is, is is evident. Um, so um, <clears throat> when uh, when you and I spoke recently, um, uh, there we talked about sort of two main thrusts. Uh, where Ginkgo is um, is having an impact in um, uh, in the current COVID fight, uh, there was an announcement a few weeks ago in which uh, Ginkgo made public uh, their offer of 25 million dollars of foundry uh, effort uh, to offer to partners who needed um, to rapidly prototype, uh, design, and, and synthesize genes uh, that would be important for uh, for rapid R and D uh, in the in the Ginkgo fight in, in the in the, the COVID fight. Forgive me. Um, and then, um, uh, because uh, Ginkgo has considerable uh, ability to read and write DNA, um, they have a, a large amount of uh, next-gen sequencing capacity. And your colleagues on the next-gen sequencing team um, have been um, re-regearing uh, the next-gen sequencing platform at Ginkgo towards um, towards COVID uh, genome sequencing. Um, uh, are those things uh, still true, or, and uh, and uh, what what progress has been made along those lines? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, certainly um, um, we are still working on those projects. Um, as you can imagine, given how rapidly things are, are moving in this uh, in this world, um, uh, we are uh, taking uh, you know a different and expanded approach in, in, in a few different areas based on the, what we've learned over the last uh, last few weeks. Um, let me start with the the platform uh, commitment. Um, there, I think the, you know uh, the uh, amount of um, interaction and outreach from the community has been um, has been amazing. There um, have quite literally um, um, had um, uh, hundreds of contacts uh, coming out as as a result of that um, of that outreach that we did with the twenty five million dollar platform commitment. Um, I would say today we're we're continuing to engage across that that spectrum in a number number of ways. Um, so so a few th uh, things that I can highlight from that. Um, one of the earliest efforts that we decided to do was to partner with um, uh, researchers who uh, kind of need all the same um, uh, DNA constructs to get their, their work done. So as you can imagine, um, there are a number of convenient designs that would be useful to put in the hands of as many researchers as possible. For example, 
Um, you may want to express key open reading frames from the virus um, in your favorite expression host, be that you know bacterial, yeast, or mammalian cell. Um, you may want a few different variants, uh, including different uh, types of affinity tags so that you can purify those antigens, et cetera. So one of the earliest things that we did there was uh, was uh, synthesizing as, as many of those constructs um, as we can and making them freely available to the community. So that started off as a collaboration with um, the Stanford Bioengineering Department. Um, and the destination um, for those constructs um, is the uh, AdGene repository, which is a free repository for or a nonprofit repository for academics to use, um, as well as the BioBricks Foundation's Free Genes Project. Um, uh, over the last uh, over the last week, uh, we've released a number of those constructs. So our first release was uh, 288 um, expression constructs um, for that community. Um, we're continuing to work through um, a larger set of those constructs uh, today, um, and via AdGene and, and BioBricks Foundation, expect to be getting those uh, constructs in the hands of researchers at scale. Now that we're we're shipping those those constructs out, and we're continuing to to refine that that set as well. There's um, um, I can provide a link um, uh, to our uh, GitHub page that, that describes the constructs that have been uh, sent out via, via that effort. Um, we've also been engaging on, on a number of other fronts. Um, uh, so if you think about uh, the various ways that we can respond to COVID-19 from a uh, biopharma perspective, um, you know, two of the key areas are um, uh, therapeutics, particularly therapeutic antibodies, um, as well as vaccines. Um, so we have a, a number of, of partnerships in, the, in those areas. Um, um, I can't uh, divulge too many of the details about, about partners and, and the work that we're doing there, uh, but I can say that we are um, uh, partnered with uh, Berkeley Lights in California, with, which is um, a company that we um, already had a, a pretty large uh, research agreement with to develop new foundry technology. So they're uh, the makers of these uh, really cool optofluidic uh, devices called the Beacon that allow you to uh, sort and phenotype uh, thousands of cells in parallel. Um, uh, you know, really, really fascinating um, instrument that turns out to be really well suited for um, antibody optimization. So there's a broad consortium uh, that we're part of working with Berkeley Lights to leverage that instrument um, uh, to enable uh, uh, the design of better therapeutic antibodies and other antibodies for, um, uh, for COVID-19. Um, along those lines, we're also working uh, with researchers in terms of developing uh, more stable and improved antigens um, for potential serological tests. So uh, these are tests that would use antigens to essentially capture antibodies um, to identify whether you have antibodies uh, against those antigens or not. So we're trying to work on both sides of that equation, both um, improved antigens and antibodies with a number of partners. Um, and then finally, in, in vaccines, um, there, there are many different ways that we can contribute to vaccine optimization, um, uh, particularly process optimization, which is really a key challenge um, given the scale of, of COVID-19. Um, it's hard to imagine uh, uh, that there's anyone who wouldn't uh, need the uh, COVID-19 vaccine once it's available, which means uh, we're talking hundreds of millions to billions of doses of each vaccine that need to be um, manufactured. So, you know, Ginkgo is in, engaging with a number of partners around optimizing vaccine production processes. Um, and uh, last week we announced that uh, Moderna is one of those partners. So Moderna is a uh, a company developing mRNA therapeutics um, and also currently in clinical trials with their uh, COVID-19 um, vaccine. So we're very excited that we're able to um, uh, partner with them in, in that space. So uh, let me, uh, uh, that, that's, a, that's a tremendous amount of work uh, and, and, and applicable across the whole spectrum of science around the, the COVID-19 response. Um, 
let's talk a little bit about Moderna and the vaccine work and process optimization there. Um, is the, is the, the particular task that needs to be optimized the RNA production? Yeah, so unfortunately, I, I can't uh, divulge too many too many details there. Uh, suffice to say, uh, you know, manufacturing process optimization is is, is important, um, and this is something that, that Ginkgo has a lot of experience in. Um, you know, as you as you probably know, you know, these uh, nucleic acid vaccines are uh, can be produced by um, uh, scaling up uh, microbial uh, fermentation. So that's something we have a ton of experience with. Right. Okay. I gotcha. Um, uh, the molecular biologists listening will probably read between the lines there uh, uh, sufficiently. That's great. Um, so, uh, well, then here, let's, let's go back to the uh, the constructs that uh, that you've built that, that are being released through AdGene and BioBricks. Then that's a little bit more open. Um, what are the kinds of things that uh, people are using those constructs for? Do you think? Yeah. So, so a number of things. I think you know, um, uh, antibody uh, development, of course, is is a big one. Um, particularly in terms of um, you know developing better uh, better tests, I think you know being able to show that you can um, you know detect or bind to particular antigens is, is important. Um, there are also a number of researchers, uh, and this ties into our sequencing efforts, which I can go to in, into as well, um, that are interested in um, molecularly characterizing um, uh, mutations that are being detected via sequencing. Right. So, so one of the most prominent mutations that's being tracked right now is a SNP in the spike protein. Um, uh, so, so by providing these constructs, uh, these researchers will be able to characterize whether those changes um, confer differences in, in binding or interaction um, uh, with, with antibodies. Another uh, active area of research is the interaction of small molecules with, um, with genes that are expressed by the virus. So, um, uh, for example, you know, remsetivir, which is one of the uh, repurposing drugs that's being looked at for this, um, you know, inhibits one of the proteases. Um, uh, those uh, those enzymes uh, in, in the uh, SARS-CoV-2 genome, um, they're all essentially drug targets in that um, if you inhibit them, uh, you may be able to um, halt the progression of the of the disease. So the, the um, enzyme constructs there will be useful for researchers who are looking to um, target or screen small molecules against those uh, proteins. Right. You know, there's a lot of talk about serology testing right now and uh, the, 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 the benefits and the pitfalls of uh, the tests that are coming, you know, the, the, the very large number of tests that are rushing to the marketplace right now. Um, and um, I, the, the value of the, the antigen uh, part of this, of course, um, uh, is uh, the ability to, um, to, to provide people with um, high-quality constructs uh, that allow them to express the proteins that are specific uh, to SARS-CoV-2 and that have the, the, the epitopes, the, the molecular structures that are specific to this one, um, as distinct from other coronaviruses that people might have been exposed to in the past. Um, the, uh, the, the relatively high false positive rate of some of these serology tests is, um, is a concern to many people. And, um, and so putting the tools in people's hands for, um, for developing serology tests that are increasingly specific for SARS-CoV-2, I think is really critical. So, um, so thank you for that. Um, so you mentioned, uh, again, the, the, the work that you're doing in next-gen sequencing. Um, sure, would you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so, so of course this is something that has uh, you know, continued over the last few weeks and, and we're expanding it in a few key ways. Uh, so the reason that we're engaged in, in uh, next generation sequencing of, of viral genomes is that you know, Ginkgo has an existing um, high throughput sequencing capability that we wanted to leverage for the COVID-19 response. 
So as you can imagine, you know, designing and building thousands of different um, genetic designs on a routine basis means that we need to have a next generation sequencing capacity that can sequence lots and lots of small genetic constructs, um, you know, primarily plasmids. Um, so it turns out that this is a, a, a unique challenge for uh, many sequencing centers because most, uh, the vast majority of sequencing focuses on, on genomes and in particular human genomes, which are quite large. So if you imagine, um, you know, basically each sequencer has a set capacity um, that capacity is normally taken up by a handful to maybe a few hundred if you're working with uh, microbial genomes, um, you know, a few hundred to tens of samples per sequencer. So each sample needs a unique barcode, uh, especially if you're using Illumina sequencing. Um, and the bioinformatic pipeline, um, you know, the, requires uh, certain considerations based on the number of, of samples that you're looking at. Um, and perhaps most importantly, um, you don't need a lot of automation to keep your sequencers busy because you're only, uh, you know, prepping you know, uh, hundreds or fewer samples per sequencer. Mm -hmm. um, Ginkgo routinely needs to uh, prep thousands of samples for sequencing every day and then run them through um, a large Illumina instruments. So we, we use the NovaSeq, which is one of the um, uh, instruments that's usually used for sequencing human genomes. Uh, we, uh, uh, we can use it to sequence thousands of SARS-CoV-2 genomes. And, and the reason that this is important is that um, it allows us to um, um, help epidemiologists um, identify mutations um, uh, that could be um, uh, becoming more prevalent in, in the population. This is uh, actually the driver behind the current discussions over whether there are different uh, East Coast and West Coast clades of SARS-CoV-2 based on you know, di different SNPs that are being, being tracked. So we booted up that effort largely to contribute to that sort of tracing, and, and you see um, uh, uh, those genomes being uh, leveraged on sites like nextstrain.org. Um, so over the last uh, few weeks, we've been um, um, receiving samples from uh, from labs. So so labs have, um, that are doing frontline testing have uh, donated um, um, RNA extracts to us, and we are um, moving those through our, our sequencers over the next um, couple of weeks. So you know, expect to start seeing genomes uh, submitted by Ginkgo to um, to those repositories. Mm -hmm. A big uh, a big um, shift that we're that we're doing now is um, you know we're we're trying to fi figure out the appropriate throughput for that, and, and kind of in the midst of, of developing that project, um, we, we've been monitoring the background, the uh, national backlog in terms of needing to scale up testing. Um, and I think the, you know, the biggest way that that conversation has shifted over the last few weeks in particular is a realization that not only are we behind nationally in terms of testing levels today, but if we actually want to reopen the economy, we need to dramatically expand the amount of testing that, that's available. So uh, many of the estimates that are out there show um, um, if you have a very effective contact tracing operation underway, which in fact in Massachusetts they're hiring people to do that right now, hiring armies of people to do this, if you have that, then you still need a lot more testing to make that effective. So the current estimates I've seen are something like 5 to 10 million tests per day in the United States plus contact tracing to be able to allow you know, large fractions of the economy to go back to work in some, in some way. Mm -hmm. So you know, from Ginkgo's perspective, um, uh, that means, uh, you know, it's, it's probably on um, uh, centers with large-scale um, um, analysis capabilities like Ginkgo to, to get involved in that effort. Um, so one of the things that we're doing right now is, is um, considering whether we can significantly retool our NGS sequencing operation um, to also support NGS diagnostics, right? So, um, uh, you know, if you're, if you're uh, willing to sequence a fraction of the virus rather than the entire virus, uh, th those, that's a shortcut that can enable us to even further increase our capacity. Mm -hmm. um, so what we're looking at now is, is can we dramatically support 
the testing need in the United States, while also providing sequencing services for a large enough fraction of those viruses that we can aid in the epidemiology of the virus. So, you know, it's really an expansion of our focus, you know, over the last few weeks, but it's really because of this urgent need to scale to millions of tests per day. The burden for sample preparation for the input to that diagnostic piece would be significant, I would think, for next-gen sequencing. Is that a concern? It is a concern, and of course, you know, for the entire national response, you know, this is really a logistics operation. So I think, you know, there are things that we can do to try and make that front end easier. In particular, you know, one thing that's important to note about this new mode of screening that's going to be rolling out is that this is really going to be preventative screening or screening of asymptomatic people, right? So you're not trying to determine whether somebody who is sick has COVID-19. You want to identify somebody in the pre-symptomatic phase of the virus so that you can isolate them and isolate their contacts before they have a chance to meet too many people and spread it further. So that means that these diagnostics are going to have, you know, different considerations about them versus the confirmatory diagnostics that are currently in play. So, and then in terms of sample handling, that means the sources of samples are going to be different. So it's not necessarily going to be, you know, frontline healthcare workers who are collecting things from sick patients, but rather employers, healthcare systems screening their own employees. You know, we think this is something that the Department of Defense is likely actively working on for force readiness. It's really a different source of samples, and therefore, logistically, there are different ways that you can consider batching and optimization and ways to kind of multiplex to gain throughput there. And then again, the big advantage to next-generation sequencing as a diagnostic approach here is that you can pool thousands of samples together so an individual instrument can actually achieve much higher throughputs than a PCR instrument can. That's certainly true. To what extent is it a challenge, though? So you mentioned, of course, the NovaSeq and similar scale sequencers are largely tuned or were developed to do high-throughput whole human genome sequencing. You mentioned that you've already adapted it to plasmid-sized. You know, so the human genome is about 3 billion bases. Plasmids, the kind that you guys would be sequencing in the course of your ordinary business, would be about the size of the coronavirus genome, so about 30,000 bases perhaps, or maybe within that sort of tens of thousands of bases. If you're going to sequence subsets of the genome, how small is it practical to use here? I mean, and how do you think about that next step of downscaling? Yeah, that's a good question, and the short answer is we're still working through that. I think one of the exciting things that we've seen through our sequencing efforts is that, you know, depending on how you prepare the sample, you can actually get pretty good whole genome coverage even at very low copy numbers. So we've been pretty excited to see, like, almost full coverage of contrived samples at least, where we're basically estimating that we have about one copy per reaction, which is pretty incredible. You know, I think for detection, there are things that you want to balance there in terms of making sure that you're 
tuning amplification so that you're um, uh, getting a, a good limit of detection. That, that's a really key piece. Um, and then, of course, you know, since you are still sequencing, um, you can try to target regions that are, um, you know, conserved, but but might contain, um, you know, areas that are um, that are changing in the form of SNPs. So you may be able to get some of that um, clade information as well from from that approach. But you know, again, the short answer on this is that this is a this is a massive uh, R and D project that we're working on right now. But I think what makes us excited about this is that, um, you know, we we have an existing large-scale operation um, that can be repurposed for this. So we're not, we're not starting from scratch. And, and most of the, um, you know, uh, protocols that we're developing here are things that, um, that we're very familiar with. So, so it's really an engineering project more than a science project, which means, you know, it's, it's about logistics, um, um, uh, making sure that you're addressing uh, the right kind of scaling issues at the right time. Now, um, Ginkgo's not alone, I understand, in looking at next-gen sequencing, both for surveillance and for, uh, and for potentially for diagnostics. Uh, has Ginkgo been in touch with or has it networked at all with others who are, who are looking at this, uh, this next-gen sequencing approach? Yeah, so, so we've been working with a number of groups, including Illumina, um, and, and you're likely uh, familiar with uh, uh, Shri Kasuri from Octant Bio. So uh, they've developed a protocol called SwabSeq that they've made open source. Um, uh, so, uh, so he's somebody that we know very well from, um, from time at MIT. Uh, and and there, is a, there is a large group that, that's, that's coming together um, in a collaborative way to share best practices and, and protocols. Um, so, yeah, again, this is, this is a whole community effort. Um, and I think, you know, while, you know, I'm, I'm focusing on, on NGS and, and talking about this today, of course, there are whole communities around basically every type of diagnostic that has a, has a chance to scale here. So, um, you know, I think given the, the, the dramatic need, we're going to need um, many different groups around the country to um, uh, step up uh, into this. Um, you know, this is our version of, you know, factories that build cars being repurposed and build airplanes in World War II, right? It's that, it's that kind of effort. Yeah, the, the effort that I was thinking of um, is called Spheres that I think is uh, being uh, uh, led at, at, down at CDC. And uh, I invite listeners to, to look into that as well. Uh, I'm so grateful that you came and chatted with us today. Uh, we're really excited to hear uh, about the, the work that's going on at Ginkgo Bioworks and, uh, and the contributions to the, the COVID R&D community and the response community that you guys are making. Um, I hope you'll come back and talk to us uh, again, perhaps in the future, and give us a further update. And um, in any event, I, I look forward to staying in touch. Definitely. Yeah, it was great catching up, and yeah, thanks for having me. All right, also, uh, thanks to Kristen Zender and Carrie Sassine, our producers. And uh, that wraps up uh, another weekly edition of the InQtel podcast, uh, Be Next Style. Thanks. Mm -hmm.